1 Samuel chapter number 8. You know, it's interesting, this year in the bread chart and reading the Bible through, um, it's reading chronologically, which is it's a great way to read the Bible so you see things in their right time spot, right? You know the Bible didn't happen, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, right? That's, that's not the order that everything happened. It's just the order of the books. And so we're reading this year, and so you jump around a little bit, but that way you're reading it in the order of time that everything happened. And so here in, in 1 Samuel, it's interesting when you read 1 Samuel, you know, you get through the first seven chapters, and you're thinking, man, you're going to see what we read here in a minute. By the eighth chapter, they're done with Samuel. So by reading it chronologically, you go to some other places, and you see the Lord, how the Lord used Samuel along the way. So a lot happened during those seven chapters there that we read and learn about Samuel but it's not necessarily in 1 Samuel. And so um, I think it also shows us, though, by having it written the way the Lord delivered it to us, that how quickly things can change between the first chapter and the eighth chapter. And so let's read here. 1 Samuel Chapter 8, starting with verse number 5, or verse 4, I'm sorry. Thank you. Then all the elders of Israel gathered themselves together and came to Samuel the Ramah. Understand, Samuel is the prophet of Israel. Samuel is the judge of Israel. Um, and they said to him, Behold, you are old, your sons walk not in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. I want you to notice that. Make us a king to judge us like all the nations. Verse 6, But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Hearken to the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they've done since the day that I brought them up out of Egypt, even to this day, wherewith they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto you. Now therefore hearken unto their voice, howbeit, Yet protest solemnly unto them, and show them the manner of the king that shall reign over them. And for the next several verses, we're not going to read them all for sake of time, but for the next several verses, Samuel goes to the children of Israel, and he begins to tell them about the king that would reign over them. He'll take your sons, he'll take your daughters, He'll take your servants. He'll take, he'll take of your fields. He'll take the best of your land. He'll take all. He, he just kept telling them. He's going to then skip down to verse number 18. 
after he's told them all this stuff, he says, and you shall cry out in that day because of your king, which you shall have chosen you. And the Lord will not hear you in that day. Man, that right there would make me say, forget it. Don't you think? Verse 19, nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, nay, but we will have a king over us. Verse 20, that we may also be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us. I want you to notice that first line, the last line of verse 19, and the first of verse 20. The voice of the people said, No, we will have a king over us. Verse 20. That we may also, or we also may be like all the nations. You know, this is an interesting passage of Scripture. You come to Samuel, if you read the Bible, you find that before Samuel, the prophet, came, there were all these judges. Israel always had a judge. Whenever they would end up in captivity, the Lord would raise up. That's why we have what's called the book of Judges. The Lord would raise up a deliverer. He would raise up. They would come under the attack of a different, you know, the Midianites, and the Lord raised up a judge by the name of Gideon. Gideon was hiding out, threshing wheat in the wine press. He wasn't threshing at the wheat press because he figured they'd look there, and so he was hiding in the wine press, threshing out wheat, just getting enough for his family. Sound like a real valiant man, doesn't he? He's hiding out over in the wine press, threshing wheat, this man Gideon, and an angel of the Lord appears to him and says, Gideon, the Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor. I imagine Gideon going, who? who me? <laughs> what? You got the wrong guy. And he sort of said that. He said, I'm the least of my father's house. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin. He gave all these excuses. But the Lord raised up Gideon as a judge, and they defeated the Midianites. And that, that's just one example. We know the story of Samson. Samson was born, had a Nazarite vow on his life all of his life. And the Lord used him to destroy the Philistines at the end of his life. And so we see the Lord continually raising up judges whenever the children of Israel went and Israel would forget the Lord, and so he'd let them go back into bondage or oppression. And they'd cry out to the Lord, and when they cried out to the Lord, the Lord would raise up a judge again. He'd raise up a judge again, again and again and again. He'd raise up somebody to deliver his people when they cried out. Doesn't that sound a lot like us sometimes? I know we don't want to admit that. We're human. They were, right? We get, in a, we get in a bind, we get stuck, we, life, we find ourselves in bondage that we never, we, we got deeper into things than we ever thought we'd get. We, our life took turns and we're like, how did I ever get here? And we're like, what in the world? And so hopefully if we come to our senses, we cry out to the Lord. God, I can't fix this. I've been trying, I've been, right? Because that's what we always do in our human nature. Rather than just cry out to God, well, maybe I can put this together. Maybe I can fix this. And here's the deception. I'll get this in order. I'll fix this. I'll get this right. Then I'll go and cry out to the Lord. No, no, no. 
But the reality is we, we find ourselves ultimately. You see, it's the mercy of God. It's the mercy of God that allows you and I to get down to the pig pen. Now you might think, oh man, if God loved me, why does he? Because he loves you. Because he loves you. You understand the prodigal son, he went to his dad. He said, Father, give to me all my inheritance. Divide, and scripture says he divided to his sons his portion. The, the one son took it. The younger son took all that the father gave him. And he went out, and the Bible says he wasted the father's substance with riotous living. Then when he was out of money and he didn't have anything else, all of his friends left him. It's still true. See, it's still the same. All of his friends abandoned him. And so he was just trying to survive. But pride, pride kept him from going to his father's house because he wasted everything. He made a mess of stuff. And so pride said, you know what? I'll just get a job and I'll fix it. But the only job he could get was working in a pig farm. Anybody ever work at a pig farm? No, I wouldn't want to. I just, just driving by him turns my stomach. But he worked, he, and, and you understand, do you understand how dire and desperate his situation was? Because Jesus is telling this parable and he's telling it to Jews. And for a Jew to end up working with swine, which was an unclean animal, he had gotten to the lowest of lows. And so here he is working in this pig pen. And the Bible says when he came to himself, he said, I know what I'll do. I'll arise and I'll go to my father's house and I'll say, Father, I'm no longer worthy to be your servant or no longer worthy to be your son. Just make me as one of your hired servants. He got this speech all planned and you know the rest of the story. He went to the father. The father brushed all that off and took him back and covered him, put a robe on him, a ring on his finger, killed the fatted calf, said, let's rejoice. This my son was dead, but now he's alive. But the Lord, it was the Lord's mercy that let that boy in that story and does to us, lets us get to the pig pen. Because the adversary, hear me, somebody hear me. The adversary would like to destroy us. And the adversary would love to have destroyed the prodigal before he ever got back to his father's house. Don't you know if the adversary could destroy you, you'd be dead already. You understand that? If the adversary could destroy you and kill you, you'd be dead already. So he only brings fear and intimidation to make to get you to believe the lie so he can keep you trapped long enough till he can, till finally the Lord sees you're not responding to him, you're not returning to him, you're not crying out to him, and then he will destroy you. But it's the mercy of God that says, I'll have to take them further. I'll have to let them go further. I'll let them get into the pig pen if I have to. I can tell you in my years of working with people, there have been times where I've felt the judgment of God coming on a life. In a closet of prayer, they'd be revealed and I would feel, and I would cry out, God, have mercy. Whatever you do, wherever you've got to take them, whatever circumstance you've got to bring them to, so be it, Lord. But I pray don't let the adversary take their life. Some way, God of mercy, spare them till they'll cry out to you. Whatever you've got to do to cause them to cry out to you, Lord. And so it is in our human nature 
Pride gets in the way and says, I can't. That's what that prodigal dealt with. He had pride. He'd rather go to a pig pen than have his father see him in the condition he was in. Took the pig pen. I'm way off of where I thought we were going. And so the Lord, in his love for you, and the Lord, in his mercy for you, will allow you to end up in a pig pen. You know why? Because sometimes it takes a pig pen to get us to come to our senses. That's what happened to the prodigal. He said, when he came to himself. That tells me he wasn't in his right mind until he got in the pig pen. And all of a sudden, he started looking around. And he's like, what in the world am I doing here? My father's got a house with plenty. He's got servants that live far better than... Why? It took him getting in the muck and the mire. And all of a sudden, when he came to himself, his eyes were open. He saw the dire situation he was in. He saw what had happened and come of his life. And he recognized in that moment, what am I doing? There's a better way. If I can get past my pride, I can go to my father's house. Somebody hear me today. There is a change. There is a way. There is a way to see your circumstances turn from where they are. There is a way to see the miraculous begin to happen and your life restored, your life made new, your life brought into relationship with God the way He intends. But it takes a willingness to humble myself and say, God, I need you. A crying out. I can't fix this myself. I can't change this myself. I can't do it with my own abilities. I need the work of God in my life. That's what Israel did throughout Judges. They'd cry out. They'd get in bondage. They'd go into a famine. And an outside army would come in and invade and rob them of homes and lands. And they're oppressed and in bondage and... They'd endure. Sometimes they would endure it for 40 years. Doesn't that seem like the dumbest thing you've ever heard in your life? That you have a, you know, when you cry out to God, he responds. But you'll stay in bondage year after year after year, trying to fix it on your own. Read the book of Judges. That's what they did. But every single time that they humbled themselves and cried out, God raised up a judge. God raised up a deliverer again and again and again. And then we come to Samuel. Samuel's the prophet. He's a judge and a prophet. And, he's, and the Lord, you can read about his life. There was none like Samuel. The Bible says of Samuel that the Lord did not allow one word of his to fall to the ground. Think about that. Samuel was so in relationship with God and so in tune as a man of God that every word he spoke, not one fell to the ground. I want to be in that relationship. Every word. And so Samuel has led the children of Israel for years. And we come to this passage we read where the children of Israel turned to him and said, make us a king, give us a king. 
When Samuel heard it, he was displeased. I believe his spirit was displeased. He recognized this is you pursuing your own way. This is you pursuing your own idea. This is you pursuing your own will. This is not what God has for you. Your choice to have a king over you, you don't even understand. And God said, and Samuel started taking it personal. He went to the Lord in prayer and in praying and crying out to the Lord. Samuel was like, like, God, they're rejecting me. I've done all I know to do. And now just because I'm old and I, Lord. And the Lord said, Samuel, Samuel, the people are not rejecting you. Samuel, they're rejecting me. Their choice for a king to reign over them is a rejection of me reigning over them. They don't want me to rule and reign their life. What they want is they, they want an earthly king to satisfy their earthly desires. And so the Lord said, Samuel, give them what they want. But you tell them what it's going to be like. And so Samuel did. Samuel begins to relate to them and convey to them it's going to come with cost. This idea of stepping out from under the covering of the king of kings ruling in your life. Oh yeah, you can go ahead. He'll give you a king. He'll give you what you're asking for. But this is what it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you your children. Not only is it going to cost you your children, it's going to cost you your manservants and your maidservants. Not only is it going to cost you that, it's going to cost you some of the land you have. Not only is it going to cost you that, it's going to cost you some of the food you have. It's going to cost you some of the crops you reap. It's going to cost you. You're going to lose some of your sons the moment you decide you want a king. You're going to lose some of your daughters. There's going to be a price to pay when you choose to have an earthly king. So Samuel related all. And I read to you those words in verse 19 and 20. And even after they heard, and he said, you're going to then cry out to the Lord like you've done in times past. You've got this pattern where you've cried out when you got in trouble and God raised up a deliverer. You've got this pattern where, but I'm telling you, Samuel says, if you go down this road where you determine you want an earthly king, you're going to cry out and God will not hear you. We read it together, did we not? It's the word of the Lord. And we see a warning in the word of God that stands throughout all of time. And there is this battle for mine and your soul and life that says, why don't you serve a God of this world? Why don't you make him your king? Make money your king. Make possessions your king. Brother Lewis started there in Exodus chapter 20 this morning. He was talking to us of the first commandment. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. It is the vein and the voice of the Spirit of God that is beckoning say, why don't you get the kingship right? Get it in proper standing. Money could be your king, your bank account, your possessions, your relationships. Anything that comes between you and God, I promise you, is your idol. You say, oh, it doesn't mean that much to me. Really, it okay, then give it up. It's the spirit that Israel dealt with. A rejection of God for an earthly king. Eyes fixed on the thing. And you know what brought all that? We read it in two places there. 
that we also may be like all the nations. They wanted to be like everybody else. Are you kidding me? The king of all kings rules and reigns over your life. Anytime you were in trouble, you just cried out to him and you witnessed him responding and delivering you. And you're willing to trade that in for an earthly king that comes out and goes into battle and trust that that's going to deliver you? After this pattern of history, what earthly king brought you out of Egypt when you were in bondage for 400 years? Right. Some of us in our lives, we have the very same patterns that the children of Israel had. Or our life goes like this, in bondage, in some area. We cry out to God, and God comes and delivers us. And then we're delivered, and then our, our fleshly desire and pursuit starts climbing up again, and we abandon the King of Kings going, I, I, oh, we may not say it that way, but we do. We begin to let something else rule. Anything that we let rule our life is a king. Whatever we let rule our life. So we step into something else and, and we realize this isn't, this isn't doing it. This is, this is trouble. I can't get myself out. This thing isn't right. I, I can't get myself out of this mess. And so hopefully, hopefully, hopefully we cry out to the Lord and he delivers. There is an end to that pattern if I don't purpose to break it. I have to purpose to break that pattern and come to a point that says, Lord, you're the king. You rule and reign in every area of my life. I can't fix these things, but I believe because of your word and your spirit that you can. I can't fix these shattered relationships. I can't fix my financial mess. I can't fix this thing going on with my body and my health. I can't fix this going on in my family. But I believe that if I cry out to you that, God, you can do a work. And I'm telling you today by the word of the Lord, He can. He can. He can and He will. But He'll not compete with other gods. He'll not be compared to other nations. And that was the issue with Israel. That's why the Lord knew they're rejecting me because they're looking at what other people have. They're looking at what other nations have and they want to be like them. I didn't call you to be like other nations. I didn't call you to be like other people. Israel, I didn't call you to fit in. And I hear the voice of the Lord declaring to the church and the people that He tried to bring unto Himself. I didn't call you to be like somebody else. I didn't call you to fit in in the workplace, in the world where you live. I called you to be separated and set apart. And when you're separated and set apart, I'll put blessing on your life. I'll put anointing on your life. I'll bring things in favor in your life. It comes from being set apart, not by being like everybody else. It's the deception of this world system. the deception of the world system. You understand when you and I read in Scripture of Babylon, Babylon is a type and shadow and is indicative of the world system. That's why when you read in Revelation about Babylon, it says, Almighty Babylon, how have you fallen in one day? In a day. That tells me something's going to happen to this world system. Read it. 
says all the kings of nations lifted you up, went to you, all the ships and all the merchants looked to you. It's talking about the world system. But it says in one day, it's going to fall. I just believe I'm going to keep my eyes on the king. I just believe there's only one king that I want. Now watch. Flip with me to the New Testament, to the book of Luke. I'm sorry, the book of John. Chapter 19. So this generation, remember, it was all the elders that went to Samuel. We read that there in the first few verses of chapter 8 in 1 Samuel. It was all the elders. It was all the leaders. Samuel told them what would happen to their children. See, the challenge for Israel is the same challenge for you and I. We usually don't see or think long term. We just want what we want now. Oh, I'm not going to consider five years down the road. I'm not going to consider 10 years down the road. I was in a conversation with one of my children, and we were talking about a circumstance, a very good circumstance, a very good situation. And we were talking about it, and I said to them, you need to ask this question. They said, I, I, I know, I know. I, yeah, I will. And, and they will. They were, they were not rejecting or pushing away. They were receiving and responding and agree, agreeing. But I made this statement, and this is, I said, this is why I'm telling you you got to ask this question. Because you just see where you are right now. But I see the hand of God and the promises of God on your life. And if you don't answer this question now, in three to five to seven years where the Lord leads you, if you have to confront it then, you'll be in so deep you won't know how to. And you won't be able to, and it'll, you'll be pushed to compromise. Ask the question now, even though it's difficult. Ask the question now. Because there's somewhere God's taking you. Don't compromise today for short-term gain. When God has destiny set upon your life, it's a deception of the adversary. It says, oh, you know, just give in a little. It's not that big of a deal. Oh, maybe not in the moment. But five years from now, it can be the world. I've used the example before. I'll use it again. I really feel the Spirit of the Lord reaching to somebody's heart today. Anybody ever get your tires balanced? Yeah, put new tires. I am always amazed. It, it just, it's just a unique piece of science that always boggles my mind. That they can take a little bitty lead weight. And they can, nail, they can hammer that thing right on the rim of your tire in your car. And if your tire wobbles... That thing falls off. You'll know if it comes off. If your tire will be like, you'll feel the shimmy and the shake in the tire. That little bitty thing. I mean, you, you hold it in your hand. I don't know. I bet it weighs like just a couple ounces, maybe some of them. But that small little thing 
right there, keeps everything in balance. But it comes off. Boy, before you feel it, before long, that tire's starting to, like, oh, it's okay, I can deal it. If you don't go get that fixed, that tire's going to get worse and worse. Am I right? It's going to wear uneven. It's going to start. The difference of a small thing. A small thing. And so it is. The children of Israel thought, he's still our God. We're just going to have a king. They didn't realize they were making a choice that was going to affect generations. When Samuel said, the king's going to take your children, they just had a picture of, that's okay. Our, our children will serve the king. Right? They, they painted their own picture based on their own desires. And that's what we do if we lean on the arm of the flesh. We can hear something from the Lord and we'll begin, well, yeah, but, but this is how, and we'll justify and resist the word of the Lord, not understanding God sees so much further. Samuel was warning them. But because of their blindness and their selfish desire, they couldn't hear when he said, your children. He wasn't just talking about their children right now for one king. You're making a choice that's going to affect generations. Don't believe me? Book of John, chapter 19. Verse number 12. John 19 and 12. And from thenceforth, Pilate sought to release him. Him is Jesus. But the Jews cried out. Notice they're crying out now. The Jews cried out saying, If you let this man go, you are not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king speaks against Caesar. Caesar was the earthly king. Verse 13. When Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat in a place that is called the pavement. But in the Hebrew, Gabbatha, verse 14, and it was the preparation of the Passover and about the sixth hour. And Pilate said to the Jews, behold, your king. You see that? Pilate brings the Lord Jesus Christ in front of the Jews. The descendants of those from 1 Samuel. You with me? Generations after from 1 Samuel. And he brings the Lord Jesus Christ. They were wanting the Messiah. They were looking for the Messiah. They were desiring the Messiah. But their forefathers had made a decision to elevate an earthly king. And Pilate brings the Lord Jesus in front of them and says, Behold your king. Watch what they said in verse 15. But they cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? And the chief priests answered, watch their words. Notice who's speaking now. The chief priests answered, we have no king. Caesar. How in the world did that happen? I'll tell you how it happened. 
hundreds of years before. Their forefathers went to the man of God and said, give us a king. And the Lord God, Jehovah, warned them and said, this is what's going to happen. And they said, nay, but we would have a king and be like all the other nations. So much so that when the king of kings robed in flesh was presented them before them, they said and declared with their own mouth, kill him. We have no king but Caesar. They had become so connected to their earthly king that they did not recognize their Messiah. That's the end of the game. If I continue to serve the God of this world, there will come a day where the king has presented me and I'll no longer recognize him. And I'll, oh, I know we say, oh, no, no, I'd never do that. I'm sure they said the same. I'm sure if you would have asked them, they said, we will never reject the Messiah. When the Messiah comes, we'll receive him. We'll, no, we'll never reject. But they did, and they even killed him. It's the battle for your heart, your soul, your spirit, and mine. Will I have an earthly king? Now watch, stand with me today. Please. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. Then delivered he him therefore to them to be crucified, and they took Jesus and led him away. And he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha, where they crucified him and two other with him on either side, one and Jesus in the midst. And Pilate wrote a title and put it on the cross. And the writing was this, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. This title then read many of the Jews for the place where Jesus was crucified was nigh to the city. And it was written in Hebrew and Greek and Latin. Then said the chief priests of the Jews to Pilate, Write not the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. And there hung on the cross the judgment of Israel for rejecting their king. Do you understand that? They didn't think that back in Samuel. They weren't looking. And the Lord tried to warn them, it's going to cost you your children. It's going to cost you more than you realize this choice you're making. I really feel the beckoning of the Lord on someone's heart today. I realize this message this morning may not be for everyone, but in some way, shape, or form, it fits to some part of probably all of our lives. But some more than others, where the hand of God, the love of God, and the mercy of God is reaching to you and saying, who will be your king? 
Who will you serve? It's Joshua declaring to the children of Israel, choose you this day who you're going to serve. Whether the gods on the other side of the flood or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, choose. But Joshua declared, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. There has to be a choosing. I want you to notice something in Joshua's words. He said, choose you this day. There has to be a daily choosing, Brother Lewis. Every day, I got to get up tomorrow. I made a choice today, but when I get up tomorrow, guess what? The God of this world is going to be trying to appeal to me again. The God of this world is going to say, come on, just, just do this thing. Just walk this way. Just talk this way. Just live this way. And I've got to go, no, I'm choosing again this day. I'm choosing for my house. I've seen further down the road by the grace of God. He's allowed me to see what I wouldn't see on my own. I'm choosing this day. Come on, just partake in this. Brother Martin talking about just participate in this. I can't. That's not the God I serve. I know the God I serve and I serve to please him. I live to serve him. I live to honor him. I can't participate. I can't take part. I'm choosing afresh today. Choose. Choose. He's a good king. We want to complicate it. Well, it's this, it's that. You know what? It's as simple as choose. Well, but then I still have all this. I understand. It doesn't fit. But what do you do? You choose again the next day. Then you choose again the next day. And then you choose again the next day. And you choose again the next day. This day. Would you talk to the Lord where you are right now, please? In your own way, from your heart. Come on, if there's a place, God, I've made an idol in my life. I've made an idol. I've put my job above you. I've put, I've put this relationship above you. I've allowed, hear me, anything that comes between you and God, anything that comes between you and God, anything that comes between me and God, Anything that comes between me and God. Jesus, I want to lay it on the altar. I want you to be my king. I want you to rule and reign in every part of my life. I hear the word. I see the word. I don't want the end that I see there. Father, by your grace, I choose to return the throne. I step off the throne of my heart. And I pray you again step in and rule and reign in my heart. My choices, I want them directed of you. My actions, I want them led of you. Everything I do and say, I want it inspired and instructed of you, my King. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, there's room. There's room. There's room. In the name of Jesus. Well, please don't be in a hurry. Please don't just play, pray a, a quick and simple prayer there. I know He hears you, but would you, where He's dealt with your heart along the journey here this morning, would you lay those things out before Him? Would you talk to Him about those very specific things that maybe He's quickened to your heart and mind today? 
Would you go to a place of repentance and releasing them to Him and a commitment renewed that you'll be the King of my life, that you'll rule and reign in my heart. God, I take this circumstance and situation and I give it to you. I pray I want to serve you. Come on, that's not a laborious thing. That is a privileged thing. That is an honor. He's a good king. He's a merciful king. He's a gracious king. He's a king that loads us with blessings and benefits. Jesus, I seek you. Jesus, I worship you. This altar is open to you if you'd like to pray here. Father, I desire your face. I desire the things of God. I desire the deep things of God. I desire that which comes from you ruling in my heart and my life. I desire that, Lord, which can only be found in submission to your kingship and your authority. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. What is he asking of you? I can tell you he's probably asking for that one thing. You said, ah, everything but that, Lord. It's like the rich young ruler that Brother Lewis referenced. Oh, everything except that, Lord. And he went away sorrowful. Why did he go away sorrowful? Because the Lord asked for that one thing to rule and reign in that one area. He wasn't allowing to let God reign in. Lord, let me deal with it first. I, let me just let me have a little more time there, and then I'll I'll turn it over to you. Let me have a little more time there, God, and maybe I can turn the situation to where it pleases you, and and then I'll turn it over to you, Lord. Just let me work on it. And the Spirit of the Lord is saying, "Turn it over to me. I'm not. I want to be king in that area. I want to be king in that area. I want to rule and reign in that area." I want no earthly king. I want to be able to declare with solemn conviction, I have no king but Jesus. I serve no king but Jesus. There is no Lord of my life but the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus.